Welcome to the Tech Kitchen Podcast, episode five. In this episode, me and Dave discuss ethics in tech. And why does it seem like a lot of companies are removing 10% of their workforce? If you would like to join our exclusive free community for technology leaders, please sign up at techkitchen.io, where you can join our Slack group and keep the conversation going. Hi again, Dave. Hey, Glenn, great to see you. Great to see you too. I hear you got a mosquito problem at the moment, so hopefully that won't distract you today. I have mosquitoes in my office, so. Oh, dear. And I'm in my new place as well, so I'm worried about the echo, but hopefully the quality still sounds good for you guys at home. Okay, we're going to push on. We're going to push on, definitely. So my first question, well, my first news item today, where I just don't really want to touch on the news item too much, but more around around the outside of it, is, uh, as we've probably all heard, DuckDuckGo story, where, you know, they are the privacy browser, well, the privacy search engine, and now they've created a browser for mobile. And it's not as private as, you know, you would have thought, considering they've got an exception in place for Microsoft products, which, you know, annoys me no end. But the main question I think that's most interesting to discuss about is the ethics of it. So if you're a CTO in that business or, you know, even a developer, what would you think you should be doing if you worked in an organization like this that promoted privacy but then didn't deliver? It's a tough call. The DuckDuckGo thing kind of hurts. You know, I love the topic of ethics. And when I read this story, it's so disappointing because I think DuckDuckGo is about the best thing going. They've done a pretty good job, and I think they are sort of a force for good in general. And then to read this story, it's disappointing. So do we give them a pass? I don't know. They are the best thing going, but they kind of lied about what's going on. Everybody suffers. Do we quit? Do we whistleblow? You know, how do we act as CTOs and people in the tech industry? It's very difficult. My general feeling is, yes, you quit. You take a stand and you move on and you don't contribute to this mess of privacy. But it's a platitude. What does that really mean? Where are you going to go? DuckDuckGo was the best thing going. So to quit over that, unless you're going to start your own company that's just built on ethics, where are you going? How do you, uh, how do you make change? People have kids and mortgages. So I love the idea of just saying, walk away. Don't contribute to that. But it's not so easy. And I feel stuck in the middle of that. Yeah, I mean, as an organization, their job is to make money. You know, if you are promoting yourself as the privacy company, you know, if this was a bug, an issue, you know, which they didn't mean to cause, it's forgivable. Sure. You know, identify it, fix it, carry on with life. I'd have no trouble with it whatsoever. But it's the fact that as an organizational level, they agreed to put an exception in, that just completely loses trust for me. And if I worked in an organization like that, yes, you'd highlight it go, why on earth are we doing this? We are this type of privacy company. So yeah, obviously you try and fix the problems from within in an organization like this. But if there's business need for it and they obviously clearly have no intention of doing it, I would feel very concerned about staying in a company like that because it's going to hinder your CV in future. You know, this stuff always comes out. You can't hide it. And just like this, you know, we don't know how long it's been going on for, but I think the browser is relatively new. But there's always going to be search security researchers out there. Once they spot it, it's going to be public and, you know, coming out with saying, oh, but we're still the best on the market. We just still allow Microsoft. That doesn't really cut mustard for me. No, but where are you going to go? That's what I keep thinking of. So DuckDuckGo is still, if I see that on a CV... I still will generally think, oh, privacy. This is a privacy advocate. Even with this you know, ridiculous Microsoft thing, I think that's better than most. If I see Facebook, 
on someone's CV, I think, oh, it's that's the reverse. A very, very negative view of that, especially with the Sheryl Sandberg stuff going around and the way people are talking about that. It's just bizarre. I think it's tragic that Facebook has been allowed to get as far as they have with their questionable practices. So if DuckDuckGo is the best thing going, and I'm not saying they are, but they're at least they're, they fixed it quickly. They put some very ambiguous language out. But when they got called out, they did fix it. They do continue to offer some privacy. I don't know. I'm really stuck with this one. The only option at a certain point is to walk away from the whole tech industry or hang around doing like WordPress sites for restaurants. So can we escape the ethics? How about that question? I mean, ethics, everyone's got their own view of ethics and how far they're willing to go. So if I worked in an organization and there was data that we held and we were able to optimize it for better marketing purposes, I'd consider that ethically valid. But obviously, if you're then selling that data, then it wouldn't. So everyone's got their own line of where the ethics sit. If you work for an organization that's very strongly promoting one thing and then not able to achieve it, that's a line in my mind. And as you say, the question is, what do you do? Do you just move jobs? And probably most companies out there do something that you're not completely happy with. And so it's all about where your line, what you care about to you know try and represent your values. But As always, the issue is we still need to work. You still need to earn a living and you can't always put ethics above uh, feeding yourself and your family. So therefore, at what point is it too much for you to walk away? And, you know, I think everyone's got their own line in those situations. This is why, you know, certain people won't work in gambling sectors or inside the, you know, the porn industry or anything like that because they've got clear lines. They won't where other people do because obviously these sites exist and developers are working on them. Maybe that's a good way to, to draw the line, looking at industries in general, right? Like I, I'm not much for social media, although I might consider working with a company that's doing something positive in social media. Most aren't. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of industries that uh, I feel have ethical issues that I don't want to be involved in. But also the reality that uh, there are companies that are trying to work ethically and they make mistakes. So maybe that's more forgivable. You know, maybe we look at DuckDuckGo and say, okay, they're doing the right thing, but they screwed up. It's a money-making company like everyone else and try to let it go, but shy away from industries that aren't even trying to do that. There's a lot of questionable stuff happening in fintech. There's a lot of bullshit going around, certainly in crypto, NFTs, social media. I wouldn't want to work for Instagram right now, uh, things like that. So maybe we go for the big picture and put up with the rest, You know, the occasional transgression. But that feels kind of weak too, you know? I mean, it's interesting when you, like, you know, your prime example of a bad company is Facebook, where on this side of the water in the UK, I don't think it is as as hated as it is in the US now, which is interesting. Because, you know, from my view, it's like, you're still connecting people. Yes, there's a lot of stuff they do bad, but it's not as bad as the impression I get from other people in the US side of the world, where it's like, oh, it's a horrible company. Maybe I haven't read all the right articles that you have. But yeah, essentially, I think there's a bit of, you know, what you've been exposed to. And with all organizations, there's problems. And like you say, if if there is a genuine error and they try to fix it, 
I'm fully supporting that. I want to be part of the change. I want to be part of the process. Where with, if it's just a business policy of, yes, we'll, we will do this because there's an NDA, non-disclosure NDA, which is the big killer for me. It's like, well, how many other non-disclosure NDAs do you have? You know, obviously you can't tell us because they're non-disclosure NDA. So therefore you could be doing absolutely anything. That's where a trust level gets broken for me. And that obviously clearly came from the top of the organization. So therefore if the top is that bad from my own views then that's a line for me if you let's say you're a lower level developer though so let's say you're new to the industry it's even harder for you to have an ethical view on things because it's hard to move until you've got experience behind you giving you that confidence that you can so i completely understand why developers do stay in roles like that but obviously they'll be looking to make their move after one year two years or something into something else just to make themselves sleep better at night i would have thought yeah, and I definitely agree that uh, these decisions come from the top. If there's a bug or just some some kind of small event uh, where there's a privacy leak or a hack or something, then so be it. But in the case of Facebook and Sheryl Sandberg, everybody's talking about her leaving the company, and she really was the architect for the whole advertising model that Facebook made so much money on, which really has caused a lot of issues and a lot of misery, and there's there's plenty to criticize about it. But... Going back to what you said, it comes from the top. Her and Mark Zuckerberg had this whole technique of denying and deflecting and defending and not really owning up to any of this. They were just pushing back, keeping it quiet, even when the U.S. election was involved and all of that. So that is high-level you know, executive fooling around. That is unethical, so it's easy to take a stand against that. At DuckDuckGo, I think, what I think happened is that their Bing is their main provider, so they were not able to negotiate this deal to avoid using the Microsoft cookies or tracking or whatever it was. I'm not sure about the details, but something like that. So they quietly went ahead with that, but still tried to do their privacy practices with everything else, which is a different thing. And when they were called out, they didn't deny or defend themselves. They just changed it. So I don't think they fixed it. I think they just changed their privacy policy just to say, actually, yeah, we do track you a little bit if you're on the Microsoft systems. I, I think the issue is because you're right, they do utilize Bing as their search engine. And before they had a browser, that and that requirement wasn't a problem for them. But the second they went into the browser business, they still got the old contract with Bing and therefore they're still tied into it. But as an organization, if you're not identifying that as a problem and going back to Microsoft and saying, oh, by the way, guys, we need to change this then that's another concern for me. And it's either Microsoft being the bad player here, saying, oh, no, you absolutely cannot do that, or the go not thinking far enough ahead to realize that their product's going to, you know, when they're coding it, it's going, oh, by the way, here's an if statement. If Microsoft, if, you know, LinkedIn, do not, you know, remove the scripts. Yeah. For some reason, I feel like giving DuckDuckGo a pass, and as always, uh. not giving Facebook a pass. I'm the other way around. I'm much more forgiving of Facebook. But maybe, you know, it wasn't our election, was it, that you had problems with? So maybe that's why. <laughs> well, we could do a whole uh, a whole show on Facebook. Facebook, there's a massive list of reasons that Facebook is a destructive thing. It goes on and on. But that's another topic. Absolutely. But I kind of like this idea that it really depends on the corporate leadership and what is going on there. So a company like Facebook, and there's lots of others, uh, have this kind of systematic baked-in approach of not really honoring privacy and ethics in favor of making money. It's not quite that simple, but there are certainly companies like that. Whereas DuckDuckGo, I think their general 
approach is in favor of privacy and ethics with this now, you know, sort of breach of trust that they appear to have owned up too quickly and uh, maybe we can just move on. So for, for whatever reason, I'm willing to let it go. <laughs> I mean, one interesting point you just mentioned there, you know, essentially, as it comes from the top, understanding who the top of the organization is, if it's not a fan company, should we call it a man company now? Because Facebook's changed the meta. A no. man company. No, then, can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Then you just don't know who normally the CEO is, essentially, because they're not as public faces as these big companies are. So if you're not working for one of those large players, you know, you can do a bit of Googling, but it's going to be very hard for you to spot and obviously see the same extent as what you see anywhere else. But okay, then cool. Let's roll on to the next day, the next topic then. So one of the things that I think everybody's been seeing recently is there's so many companies out there that are letting people go. They, you know, the magic number seems to be 10% of staff cuts. And recently, just some companies that have cropped up with this, Tesla, Coinbase, Gemini, Klarna, there's probably a loads more as well that are in the same boat where they've all just, you know, 10% is the magic number, it seems. Why do you think at this stage, suddenly all these organizations are cutting 10% of the workforce just like that. Are they organizations across the economy or is it mostly in tech? Because I'm seeing mostly in tech. Mostly in finance as well, I'd say. Finance seems to be quite prevalent, but yeah, I'd say it's mostly in tech. But that's because all the other industries are still probably still trying to grow and get themselves back up to where they were pre-pandemic, where the tech sector has been able to sustain growth over this period of time. Well, we see this cycle from time to time. I mean, any economy is going to be, it's going to ebb and flow, and especially an economy like we have in the UK or in the States. So there's always going to be this cycle. And when it begins to happen, the most overheated sectors are going to be the ones that are going to have the most layoffs. In tech, there's this interesting kind of uh, dynamic, which is that everyone loves to talk about growth as measured either by revenue or by team size. So when you put that that little we're hiring icon on your LinkedIn for your company, it's a badge of honor, right? We're growing explosively. We've doubled in size, all of that. Silicon Valley, that's like a strong boasting, you know, important talk. Everybody's applauding each other and it's great, but we rarely talk about layoffs. We bury our dead quickly here in the Silicon Valley. So when it happens, it happens quickly and we give a speech about how we are somehow learning from our failure. There's always some kind of, you know, it's a ridiculous speech about how it's somehow a good thing. And then you move on. You never, never talk about that. We go right back to seeking growth. And when uh, there is an economic squeeze, uh, when there's just a few companies that are funded, aren't bringing, up, bringing enough revenue, and they have no choice, it starts this domino effect and gives all the other companies cover, media cover and political cover, to start cleaning house. And then you have this reactive thing where people think, well, if the economy is going to be taking a dump, this is a great time for me to clean house a little bit, tighten up. And I think a lot of that is what's happening. You know, I love the Warren Buffett quote, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. And it's happened so many times. So who's really losing money? Industries in like buy now, pay later, you know, with wild growth, lots of crypto, shedding people all over the place, Coinbase, letting people go before they even had their first day and things like that. But these are the same industries that have grown in excessive ways. And I think they're going to let a bunch of people go, hunker down through however long this winter uh, lasts, and then they're going to go right back to wild hiring. So I'm only seeing this happening in the main uh, tech industry. 
And some finance. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, the tech industry is mainly what I keep my eye on, which is why I'm seeing it. And, you know, even YC Combinator came out with the email to all of their organizations they work with saying, this is what's going to happen. VC money is going to tighten up. Companies are going to start reducing, you know, making sure they've got, you know, enough capital to last the next 18 months or two years. So therefore, I think that put a bit of shock into the people. And, you know, we don't know if a recession is going to come or not. And we don't know how bad it's going to be if one does come. So, but what we can see is organizations trying to prepare themselves for this, just like they did with the pandemic. You know, when the pandemic hit, everyone quickly pulled in all all the purse strings, paused hiring, sacked a load of people to try and keep their costs low. In the pandemic sense, in the tech industry, about a month later, they realized they cut too hard and now they need to hire again. So very quickly, it turned back round into hiring and business as usual. For a recession, I'd assume it wouldn't go as quick as that, but I can imagine a lot of organizations overcutting, you know, remove, getting rid of their suppliers, trying to make cost-cutting measures. And then when they do that, they realize, well, actually, these people were actually important. They did a function for the business and we still need that. So therefore, they have to go back and then hire again and then train up and, you know, all the overhead costs on there. So, yeah, the way I see it, organizations are starting to panic a little bit. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea to, as you say, you know, cut the fat. In the UK, I don't think we care too much if a company's growing or decreasing size in the same way that US do, because we don't wear hiring as a badge of honor. It's a necessity for the business. And the same thing with cutting staff as well, where in the US, I think, you know, they like to promote the fact, oh, yeah, we're hiring, as you mentioned, and, you know, here's my badge. I've never updated my LinkedIn to say we're hiring, even when we have been hiring, which is pretty much all the time anyway. So, yeah, maybe that's, that is a big difference between uh, the US and the UK side of things. But is this going to expand into the rest of the economy? Because we're not really seeing huge amounts of pain outside of tech and a few other industries a little bit here and there. But things like real estate and gas prices, inflation, you know, those are the things that are going to affect everybody else. We did see in the 2001 crash that the whole economy got rocked. I mean, that was crazy. People's savings were being wiped out and there was a lot of pain going around unemployment there was depression some people never went back to work that was a real recession and that may be to come but right now it's not really happening a lot of people are predicting it but the job market is still reasonable real estate is getting tight but it hasn't crashed or anything so it does kind of expose these uh, uh this divide between uh, tech and how it sees itself as the economy And everybody else, you know, most people don't work for the IT industry. Most people don't work for Facebook or anything like that. And they're pretty unaffected by it. And most of the people in the industry, not all of them, but a lot of people who are getting laid off today are really going to have a pretty easy time finding jobs compared to the rest of the world. It's not as if they're going to spend two years trying to find a new position. There's tons of work going around. It's just not as exciting. It's not going to be with a funded startup that has stock options. So... It's like this kind of class system, right? We talk about the layoffs, how awful it is that there's all these layoffs at Coinbase. But who are these people that are being laid off? What are their job opportunities, right? I think they're going to be more okay than if there are massive layoffs at Amazon warehouses or at Walmart or in the healthcare industry, things like that. That can really, really hurt. So, you know, we're pretty lucky in the IT industry. There's a lot of work. And everybody's getting taken down a notch, I think, and it's all going to be fine. So I still think overall, this is a good thing. If we waited longer for this kind of uh, uh, cratering of the market in tech to happen, 
then the pain would have just been worse and it could have been like it was uh, 20 years ago. So I say bring it on. We'll clean house. I absolutely agree. But then that does make you think if the tech industry is doing it now, does that mean that the other industries should also be doing it now? Because we're ahead of the times and we're thinking about this stuff. No, no. And I mean, I think that's like pretty arrogant to think that, oh, we in the tech industry have a better view of this because why are there so many layoffs happening in IT? It's because it was overheated. And once again, the tech industry got carried away. It's not the most pragmatic, sensible industry. There's hundreds of millions of dollars pouring in to NFTs and crypto, and, and just there's wild stuff happening. There are big parts of this industry that are kind of overfunded. There's money going into, into the metaverse, which is still unproven, and all these moonshots. So no, I think we're not a very good kind of compass for the rest of the world. I think the automotive industry is an industry that really looks forward because they're burdened by all, all unions and things like that. They have to really plan. They probably have a more sober view of what's happening uh, in the economy at large. So no, nobody should follow the tech industry. It's a mess. It's chaos. That sounds great. Okay. And then just going from like a developer or CTO point of view, then when you are seeing these things, over the last two years, I think salaries have been inflated and been shooting up due to the ability to remote, you know, do remote work, more competition, more businesses getting into the sector. So therefore there's even more demand. With companies like this starting to cut 10% of their staff, should people take another look at what they're asking for financially? Or do you reckon they should still be trying to base themselves on the market rate or higher? It's going to cool off, I think. I mean, so many young engineers are coming out of school and asking for huge amounts of money and all of this. And I think they're in for a little wake-up call. I've definitely seen that, yeah. In the CTO communities I've been hanging around with, they've been coming out with exactly the same stuff, saying, yeah, you got people straight out of uni asking for you know, what would be mid to senior level wages two years ago. And it's just, you know, it's unbelievable that's the expectation. It's like, where, you know, who's hiring these people at those salaries? Maybe they're just trying their luck because they're inexperienced. But, you know, maybe someone is paying this type of rates for a completely wet behind the ears developer straight out of university that knows a little bit of Python. Yeah, it's both, right? There's so much demand that people are offering ridiculous money for junior developers. And for that reason, junior developers are just lining up to get more money. And why wouldn't they? They want to get as much money as they can. But I think that the, uh, yeah, I think that the demand is over for a little while and everybody can sober up a little bit, which is also good. It is a pretty rational market, an efficient market uh, for software developers. So when demand goes down, I think everyone's going to lower their expectations very, very quickly, and then we can all get back to work. And it's also a really, really good thing. And, you know, we're all very lucky in tech, right? I mean, let's be honest. This is a great industry in which to, with, to ride out a recession, right? We're very, very well poised to make it through. So if your already high-paying white-collar job suddenly becomes a little bit less fun because you're not working at a, a sexy startup, and you've got to work a little harder and you don't get your free lunch, but you've still got a good job making more than the average income, then maybe you should shut the hell up. You know, I'm a- oh, That's completely unacceptable, Dave. I want my slides. I want my ping pong tables and my free coffee and fruit in the morning. <laughs> Goddamn ping pong table. It's just, I'm so tired of the ping pong table. And honestly, I'm a 53-year-old white man living in the Bay Area in the IT industry. So it's an enviable- demographic when it comes to getting work, right? It's uh, 
for better or worse, and mostly for worse. I mean, it's not really fair for me to go out in the market and look for a job, maybe not the best job. You know, if, if I'm looking for a CTO job with tons of stock options for wildly overfunded startup, things might get a little harder right now. But if I just want a job to pay the mortgage, take care of the family, I'm still in a very good position. I'm very lucky. And I think about that a lot. But even the juniors coming out of university with a computer science degree and a decent grasp of programming are still in a much better position than most. So yeah, everybody should shut the hell up. Everything is going to be fine. There's plenty of money in tech. Everything is good. I hope this recession doesn't actually unfold and start affecting a lot of other people who don't have those opportunities. Okay, so just round off this part of the question then. How should a developer or CTO know what the proper market rate is for your job role? Because this has always been a tough one because if they're not advertising it publicly, like in the UK, I think they're much better at advertising what the salary ranges are now for roles. I don't know how good that is in the US. In Portugal, for example, they never advertise them. It's always just the role. So it's incredibly difficult. Is there a way that you find what you would say is the market rate? There's a big push for this, to list the rates uh, in the States. And the main reason is because people of different demographics are getting paid different amounts of money. So it would be very interesting to make that into a law even. But in the meantime, I don't think it matters that much. I think that what I would advise somebody who's relatively new to the market, doesn't know what they're worth, is go out onto the market. You'll be paying, getting paid probably most, more than most of your friends because you don't have to pay dues as much in our industry as in others. And just get a job. And six months later, you will know more about whether you like that job, whether you're good at that job, and whether you're being paid market value. Um, you will learn quickly and look at it in terms of how much you're going to be earning in three years and in 10 years as a career trajectory and go for like lifetime earnings. But for now, just get your foot in the door. And if you're being paid under market, you'll find out quickly and you'll be in a great position if you know what you're doing to get a raise. So I wouldn't worry about it. It's not a horse race. You know, this is a marathon. In the UK, there's a recruitment company called Oliver Bernard, where they publish what they're selling, what the standard rates are for all the roles they're filling. And it's just a spreadsheet with all of it in there for seniority level, technology skills, leadership, the whole lot. That's really interesting. I think it's slightly inflated. Every time you look at it, it's like that feels a little bit high, but it's it's still a good idea about where where you sit. So I, I just think that's because the UK industry is a little bit more accepting of publicly stating what the salary ranges are at this point. It's a good practice. Or you can go to Glassdoor, right? Is that the name of the site that... Uh... Yeah, there's Glassdoor, but that's normally just people complaining that they got fired from their previous job, isn't it? Yeah, or the company stacks the reviews. Exactly. Right? They ask everyone to go there. I've been in a company, yeah, where they say, oh yeah, please everyone put a review on Glassdoor. They don't try and force me to put a positive review, but if you're still working there, it's going to be relatively positive. It's only when you leave when you go along and say, ah, the managers suck. <laughs> right. But I wonder how accurate the, the salaries are. Because whenever I look at a salary survey, it either seems high or low. It never quite feels right. I don't know. Maybe the salaries are just all over the place. There's a lot of variance. 
I think the UK, it's a bit better, but I agree. Looking at some of these public websites, they don't feel exactly right. And there's some weird ones in there where you see like certain roles that you'd expect to charge a lot more to be lower than, you know, something that's normally traditionally lower level wages. But never mind, I've digressed quite a lot from that topic there, but uh, good to catch up. So with the way to like round this off then, essentially, what's been getting your attention this week? Like what's the main thing that you think you've come across that uh, you just like to mention? Well, we had talked about each of us bringing in something interesting that we saw in the news, just uh, something just uh, random, irreverent or whatever. And I wasn't sure what to bring in. And then I saw this article about the SEC, the U.S. government agency, that's been publishing these videos in order to protect consumers from risky investments. And they're, they're pretty ridiculous. They make it look like a sort of like a commercial or kind of like a sketch or something warning people against the perils of risky investments. And the most recent one was uh, about crypto and just showing how, how terrible unresearched investments can be and how risky. Well, what was interesting is that the SEC got completely reamed on social media. It was a circus. They were attacked uh, on Reddit and on Twitter, mostly by people in the crypto industry talking about how the SEC should get it together what are they doing and why are they giving all this advice when they don't understand the industry you know, in the first place? And there's this big war now. And it is pretty amazing because it asks the question, who are we listening to? And what do we expect from the SEC? The crypto world is moving so quickly, I think the SEC doesn't really stand a chance keeping up with them. And it's obnoxious that the crypto industry is lampooning the SEC like this. It kind of um, is the reason that people sometimes hate crypto is because there's that kind of personality. On the other hand, uh, the SEC has really been dragging their feet and doing nothing. So it is kind of true that we should be critical of them. But this video is just wild and ridiculous. And the comment thread is epic. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, check it out. It's the SEC consumer advice on investing. And it's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's, it's not their best work. We'll put it that way. So that's what stuck out to me. That was a pretty wild story. Cool. The diamond hands not agreeing with what the SEC's uh, recommending. I mean, f- from my right. perspective, the one I've seen is forty-five uh, percent of crypto owners would invest in coins that have celebrity endorsements. What are you guys thinking of? You know, essentially Kim Kardashian, was it Matt Damon? What do you mean, you guys? So whoever's that forty-five percent of people in the crypto market that think that a celebrity endorsement's going to mean anything in the was it a U.S. Are you are you saying when you say you guys are you? Uh... Uh, well, yes, I completely think that probably forty percent of that forty-five is probably U.S. <laughs> based. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, it's really horrible to watch. It's like. Uh, it's a train wreck. It's, it's a dumpster fire watching this. And now the celebrities are hiding, aren't they? Because after the Super Bowl ads and all that, they're not coming out of the woodwork because crypto's just crashed since then. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to tell anyone I'm sorry for losing your grandma's savings. Yeah, Matt Damon, right, was leading the charge with his there was that ad where he was comparing investing in crypto to landing on the moon, winning marathons, you know, in this historical concept, the Wright brothers. And uh, everybody was just criticizing him, and he has been very quiet since. The Kim Kardashian thing, I think, is a little bit different. With Matt Damon, I think that he took a gigantic check in order to do a commercial, and that was probably the end of it. Uh, I doubt that he really did enough research to understand how risky that was, although it's still on him for accepting that check 
uh, and doing that high-profile, pretty ridiculous commercial. With Kim Kardashian, it's really different because now we're taking the influencer economy and using that to promote crypto. And that is pretty rough because it's not just a commercial. It's a more nuanced and powerful form of influence. So now we're taking an industry which in many cases is providing zero value. That's always the big criticism of crypto. What is the value of it? And in many cases, there's nothing. And now you're taking the influencer world, which really provides no value. They're really just directing influence. It's the only value they provide to the whoever paid them. So now we have double lack of value, right? We've got somebody steering influence towards something to pump up its already questionable value. So I think it's even worse than what Matt Damon did. It's appalling. But maybe this economic downturn and the fact that uh, I mean, the crypto market is cratering more than anything else is going to make that self-correct. But it's, it's gross, and I can't take it. <laughs> yeah, I think the NFT market sort of worried about this as well with, uh, was it Snoop Dogg? Didn't he buy a lot of sandbox and stuff like that? So, yeah, so you've seen these celebrities getting into it, feel like you're missing out, so therefore you want to get involved too. I mean, if they're producing... I mean, look, some things in the crypto industry are tied to something or at least investments in something but a lot of people just using it for short-term gains and therefore you know there's such high risk there i'm surprised any celebrity would said oh yeah come and mention that you know come and mention this unregulated market of uh, high gains and see how that works out for you i think it's a bit different to advertising coca-cola because coca-cola if they do start killing kids from their drinks you know, someone's going to go after Coca-Cola. It's not your fault as the person advertising it. Where in this world, does, who are you going to go after? Coinbase? No. You know, Gemini? You can't go after Bitcoin. You can't go after, you know, you could technically go after Ethereum because uh, it's still an active business. But yeah, essentially, you're the one that's on the hook. So yeah, I mean, essentially, it'll come, you know, I reckon there's, there'll be a few more rounds of this before people start to think about their own investment plans and start listening to financial advisors instead of, uh, uh, I don't know, Scooby-Doo that comes along and advertises that they should buy Dogecoin. Or Kim Kardashian. I think we might be done with all this soon, at least for a while. Although you got to give it up to Kim Kardashian. She's come a long way. You know, she started out with a sex tape and now she's uh, promoting crypto. Every girl's dream, Dave. What can I tell you? (laughs) (laughs) To to go from sex tape to crypto. It's a sadly American story, but uh, you can't really blame Kim Kardashian specifically. I mean, this is just the influencer economy finding its natural mate in the world of crypto. I mean, it was inevitable that those two industries would find each other and have some kind of sad affair. So hopefully it doesn't last long. Sure. I'll wait five years and then Kim Kardashian's now a crypto expert because obviously she's been in it for so long. Uh, she'll be running for office at some point. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. So yeah, we should probably round up there. So great talking to you again, Dave. Always a pleasure. And uh, for the audience, do check us again next time. So thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody.